You know, I, I just really wanted to bring you to the place I'm at today. I feel it's better we just get together on level ground of where we're going, what God's saying to me, and what God is doing. Um, you know, as I said, I listened to that song over 10 years ago, and man, it, it, it relates even more to me now because of what we've dealt with this past year plus, 18 months with COVID, and you know, we've had so many untimely deaths, suicides, uh, even family members in this church, our, some of our people, we've had suicides, we've had overdoses, we've had, we see now that abuse, child abuse, and spousal abuse is like up over 300%, I think. Uh, uh, suicide's up over 500%. And that's not even to count those that have been battling depression, oppression, fear, anxiety, worry, that, that have become so isolated. And, 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 and you would, it's like you would look at them and think they're fine, but when they're alone, they're in such a lonely, miserable place. And, and, and what I want you to realize today is, guys, this nation right now has countless millions of people, just this nation alone, that, that are facing such dire circumstances that's going to go on even after COVID. And then not only mention that, look what we've had. We've had, you know, political unrest. We've had, you know, racial injustice. We've had situations with our police and our first responders that, that are operating under the most dangerous and thankless circumstances in my lifetime. I think this nation needs a change. How about you? And, and if it's going to change, it's going to start with you and me. Because we, we are the ones here that we have an unfair advantage as Christians. We are those that can bring change. And think about this, the greatest day of all of change. Whenever we come to this context and think about Jesus, man, wow, he's risen. And the reason you and I have hope and the reason you and I have victory and the reason you and I can win is simply because Jesus came and he rose again. Think about it. He's God. He's deity. He comes and he, he chooses to leave the right hand of his father. Our heavenly father gave, listen to this, people, our heavenly father gave his only child so that you and I could have eternal life if we so choose. He gave his only child to carry the burden of our sin, our failures, our mistakes. He took it all on the cross without any guarantee you and I would ever accept the greatest gift that was ever given. Jesus came not to condemn the world. Jesus came not to judge the world. The reason this day is such a day of change, the reason this day is such a day of transformation is because he came to this world because of love, God-like love, unconditional love, loving us just the way we are, not the way we think we should be with that crazy story we got about ourselves going on in our mind or the way people think we should be or even church people think we should be. Man, I think about the story I had going on in my mind before I came to Christ, and it was like, man, you're not even going to make it, Dalton. You're stupid. What are you? Oh, God, they're going to see now you, you got put in jail or you wrecked your car. Come on, man. And I would lay in my bedroom. I remember the last car I totaled, and I'd move back home with Mom, and she would always have these uh, big weekend breakfasts, you know, and I hear all my siblings in there. I had a big family. And they're all in there, you know, talking. Mom, what are you going to do? He's going to kill himself or somebody else. He's, I don't know. What, what are we, what's, what's going on with him? Here it is again. He's totaled another car. We don't even know where the car is. They said it's towed somewhere. He was drunk. His buddy was drunk. And about that time, my mom, with a quivering voice, I'm laying back there in my little bedroom, and she said, that's my boy. And God's got a plan for his life. And you wait and see what God does with him someday. And 
You know, that just gave me a hope. And that wasn't too long before I came to Christ because someone believed in me. You see, what I want you to realize, if no one else believes in you today, I believe in you. If no one else believes in you that you can change, God believes in you. God already placed the bet that you would change. God already placed a bet. It's not you changing. It's allowing the grace of God, the Christ in you to change. I mean, think about it. The Son of God came 100% God, laid his deity aside, born as a man from a little virgin girl, teenager, and comes into this earth 100% God, lays it aside, and, and lives as 100% man. I mean, think about it. You and I, if, if, if we were sitting there watching all these events taking place and we're reading our Bible, but he stayed and operated from deity, healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding the hungry, doing these miracles, we would have been spectators going, that's cool, God's awesome. He's showing us how powerful he is. But when he laid his deity aside so that he could live, by the same spirit and the same power that men and women of God have to live by today. And then he healed the sick, and then he raised the dead, and then he set the captive's feet free. Then he fed the 5,000 with the loaves and the fishes. Then he delivered the, uh, the demoniac at Gadara. Think about that. He did all that as a man by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then here's what blows my mind. I mean, this is blows my mind as I think about change and how so many of us, we need change. And even as we're Christians, we got to grow or we're dying. We need change and constant change, growing closer to God and being difference makers at a higher level for him. But think about this. The Bible says in Romans 8, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that dwells in you believers. Man, that blows my mind. Jesus didn't raise himself. He sacrificed himself. He died by choice for you and I to pay for our sin, our death, our hell, and our grave. He did all of that for us and depended on the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, to activate, to rebirth him alive again so that he could take the keys of death and hell and sin from the grave and he took the keys from Satan from the bow of hell and took them to the right hand of the Father. That's why the Bible says you win. At the end, Satan and all of his demons will burn together, but every child of God wins. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The question is, which Lord will you be present with? Will you be present with the one that came and paid it all as a man for you? Or will you be present with the one that's supposed to be the God of this world, the little weak one? The Bible said Satan grows dimmer and dimmer day by day. He's weaker now than he was 2,000 years ago, but we prop him up like he's super, super amazing, and he's not. He's weak. It's just that we haven't came to acknowledge that all we got to do to change is to receive change. You don't make the change. Man, think about that. I mean, I, I, I thought about it in Jesus as we think about this day. And, and I just want you to realize, I believe in you, man. The, you know, the, the, the chorus of that song says, here's to the strong, thanks to the brave. Don't give up hope. Some people change against all odds, against the grain. Love finds a way. Some people change. And that's what I want you to realize today. Everyone's not going to change. Everyone's not going to make it to heaven. And unfortunately, there may be some in this room today won't make it to heaven. Some listening online to me today won't make it to heaven. 
But how can they stand in front of God and say, I didn't know, I didn't hear? You're going to say, I wasn't ready? Well, he was ready over 2,000 years ago, and he put a bet out on you and guaranteed heaven if you would change. How do you change? Well, it's simple. It's not like it was in the old covenant. Romans chapter 5 says the first Adam fell, right? And then the second Adam, which is Jesus, came. He said, it also says that uh, the law was given by Moses. So God gave the law, which is to tutor right, wrong, sin, the Ten Commandments, to Moses, it was given. But get this, grace, Jesus came. Jesus is our grace. We are saved by grace through faith, the Bible says, and it's that same grace that empowers you, it's the same grace that encourages you, and it's the same grace that restores you and recreates you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says what? says that to them that believe in Christ, old things pass away, all things become new. Why? Because you become a new creature or creation in him. You see, you're trying to, listen, you're, I know where you're at. I, I was there, right? You're trying to measure it up and figure it out. Uh, 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 if I change, what's it going to cost me? That means I got to get rid of my friends I got to get rid of some relationships. It means, man, I'm going to get road hard at work or I'm going to get road hard at when I get back to class or school. You know, the guys in the neighborhood, the gals, they're going to give me a hard time. Maybe your own family is going to give you a hard time. And you're weighing all that out. And then you're thinking, I don't have the strength to change now. How would I walk it out if I made that decision today? Well, the key is it's not about you. Once you make the decision, that same power, that same spirit, the resurrecting power of Christ is going to recreate your spirit man and alive, bring it alive, and you're going to be able to walk at a whole nother realm, a whole nother authority, with a whole nother understanding and force and power that you don't even have an inkling that you have available to you. So that, that sounds good, but I don't know, preacher. Change, I mean, you've almost convinced me, but this Easter thing, what do you mean it's the time of change? Well, Jesus came as a baby. He lived 30 years before he went into his ministry full time, right? <clears throat> then what happened? Man, he healed the sick, set the captives free, raised the dead. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, uh, uh, or Acts chapter 7, I think it is, said that he went forth doing good and healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. I mean, he was doing good, healing the sick, raising the dead, doing all these amazing things. But when it came time, and he knew it came time, that he was going to be crucified. His Palm Sunday was coming. What happened? They're singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, because he rose Lazarus from the dead, and they all knew Lazarus, and Lazarus was with him, and, and, and the religious Pharisees and stuff, they came out, and the high priests, they wanted to kill Jesus and, and Lazarus because Lazarus pointed to Jesus, and they're all tore up, and the whole city, tens of thousands of people were praising Jesus until he was arrested. How did he get arrested? One of his most faithful confidants, Judas, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Not only did he sell him out, he sold him out, and he was so miserable afterwards, he hung himself in a field, threw the money away when he realized what he had done. And get this, Peter is there with Jesus, right? And the other disciples are there with Jesus. 
and they see him being taken prisoner. And as they see him being taken prisoner, the Bible says that Peter poured out his sword and whacked off what? One of the centurion soldiers' ear. And about that time, Jesus rebuked him and said, this must happen. And he took his ear and put it back on and healed the man instantly. And he was taken off and put into uh, Caiaphas' house. And when they'd taken him off, they put him into Caiaphas' house before he even went to be tried. Now, Steph and I have been to Caiaphas' house at least three times. He was the high priest at the time. And Caiaphas, he had a huge house. It's still there today. And all, everything's on rock in Jerusalem. It's way up on the hill. And it's a street goes by. But in his house, when you get to the back of it, it had this huge hole carved out in the floor. I mean, probably 20 or 30 feet in diameter and about 20 feet deep, chiseled out of nothing but rock. And it was dark and it was cold. And what did they do? Once they tried Jesus, they brought him back there. They did what? They, they beat him. They done all these things. And they threw him and just threw him down into that dark hole. And let him feel the pain and let him feel the suffering. But you know what didn't change? Jesus' mind didn't change. You know what didn't change? His assignment didn't change. He was sold out. He was ready to do whatever it took at whatever cost he had to pay. And we'll get a little more into that. Look at me in Luke chapter 22. And I want to read a few verses to you. And I want to look at someone who had an interesting story, Peter. I just started talking about him. And maybe you can relate to this story. So as we come into this story, Judas had just betrayed Jesus, right? He's, he's been arrested. And uh, as we come into this story, we see that whenever Jesus was taken prisoner, every, all the other disciples fled but Peter. And it's interesting, Peter didn't flee. Look here, it says in verse 54. Let me read this, Luke twenty-two fifty-four. 54. It says, then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away, and they took him into the house of the high priest, Caiaphas' house. Look, Peter followed at a distance. <laughs> I mean, I have to give old Pete credit, right? He, he at least hung in there and followed Jesus at a distance. The other guys, one killed himself, right, Judas, and the other ten hid. <laughs> They're running for their lives. But old Pete. Well, you would say, Pete, he's a pretty strong guy, right? Back in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, what did Jesus say? Well, he said, whom do men say that I am? He's standing in Caesarea Philippi with this huge rock cliff where the headwaters of the Jordan River begin to flow down through the nation where the water sources. And when he said, now, and he said, now, whom do men say that I am? All some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're a great king. Some say you're a ruler. And he said, Simon Barjona, that's Peter's real name, his surname, Simon Barjona, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the son of the living God. Now, when he said that, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you didn't hear that from man, Simon, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. He said, that could only come from my heavenly Father. That revelation could only come from my heavenly Father. And he said, I'm telling you something. You're no longer Simon. You know what Simon means? Simon means one who hears. Barjona means son of a dove. One who hears is a son of a dove, a son of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was saying, you hear the Holy Spirit. That was what his father named him, my son who hears the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, this didn't come by man. This could only come from my father in heaven. And he said, upon this rock, 
talking about the big rock in Caesarea Philippi, this huge rock, but I will build my church. Now, you know what else went on at that rock? That's where they sacrificed babies. That's where they offered living sacrifice to their false gods. It was, and then over here, it was like also a sex temple was there. It was, it was the most demonic area in the whole nation. And you know what Jesus said? He looked at that rock. He said, upon this rock where hell is, where children are sacrificed, where sex places are, all this stuff going on, this is my church. Remember, he didn't come for the healed. He came for ones that needed physician. He came for the sick. But the thing is, everyone was sick, just some wouldn't admit it. Everyone was sinners, some wouldn't admit it. They were religious, but they were sick. Jesus also said in Mark's gospel, religion is the thief of my power. What could take the power of God? What could stop the heavens moving from the voice of God? What could take salvation? What could take healing? What could take provision? Unbelief. And religion was producing unbelief that they were standing there witnessing the Son of God in front of them, but because of the lies and the, the steering of the crowd and of the people by the religious leaders, they turned on Jesus and did not believe any longer. How could 100,000-plus people praising him six days, five days later, they, they released Barabbas, a murderer, instead of Jesus to freedom? Even the Roman leader, Herod, was smart enough to know, I don't want to kill this guy. There's something about him. You all make that decision. And they chose a murderer instead of Jesus. But Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And you, Peter, Petros, pebble, stone, right? You, Peter, said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. The gates of hell. And he was saying, Peter, you're a pebble. You're part of this big old Petra, this big rock. But Peter, you're one of the pebbles that's going to take this high ground. I want you to realize if Jesus was standing there and he was, and he declared that those people, witches and witchcrafts, sacrificing infants and children and murdering people and raping people and dragging them, doing all these things, if he thought they were worth saving, if they were worth changing, Maybe you are. <laughs> Maybe I am. I believe we are. But see, Peter was doing what a lot of us do, right? We get a little taste of God and stuff happens and we start falling back a little bit, right? We, we don't want to be known too much as a Jesus freak because we got things to do, people to hang, you know. So we just kind of fall back at a distance. I, I, you know, I got a lie to my boss. I got a lie to this. We just kind of. I don't want my wife or my husband to know what I'm thinking or that. So before long, all these things build up, and Jesus is way over there. We're kind of off in the distance. Peter was like that. I have to give him credit. At least he tried to keep his eye on Jesus, right? He was trying to follow, even though he was at a great distance from him. The others were hit out. Some of you are so far back that today if you died, you don't even know if you'd find him today. You don't even know if you'd steal your Lord and Savior. And some of you are still hiding because you're afraid to make him your Lord and Savior. But he came to save us anyway. He paid the price 
for you and I. Anyway, so I said, Peter followed at a distance. Now, look at this. Drop down to verse 55. So this is when he was being tried in the courtyard, right? It said, when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, remember, Jesus had told Peter, he prophesied to Peter, by the end of this day, when the cock crows, you will betray, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, you won't deny me in Matthew's gospel. I won't deny you. I'll go to the grave before I deny you. I'll die. He said, oh, Peter. I mean, at least, you know, he just talked plain with Peter. One time, Peter, only my heavenly father could give you that revelation. At the end of the same chapter, I, I, I what do you say? See Satan or something like that. Called him, huh? Get behind me, Satan. And Pete's going like, what, dude? Come on, man. I we're bros. I'm, the other guys are stupid. I'm your man. Remember, I'm the pebble. I'm the, I'm the Peter. I'm not Simon. I'm Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was calling the spirit that he was operating from because no one is strong enough to defend God. He needs no defender. And Peter even tried, right, in the garden, right, with the sword, and he had to rebuke him again. And he said, Peter, you'll deny me by the end of this day. Wow. When the cock crows, you have denied me, not just once, Peter, not just twice, but you have denied me three times. And I'm sure Pete's like, come on, man. What's he been in? smoking up on that mountaintop praying by himself or something. I, how could he think I would do that? I love him more than anyone else. And it says, uh, when he was standing out in the courtyard, right? It says, when some came there and kindled, kindled in the middle of the courtyard a fire and had sat down together, Peter sat down with him. A servant girl saw him seated there in the fire lot. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it, one. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. He said, man, I am not one of them, Peter replied. In Matthew's gospel, it said he cursed or denied Jesus with an oath. Verse 59, about an hour later, man, this happened quick, right? About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, a rooster crowed. Think about this now. He said, he's a Galilean. He has to be one of them. You know what a Galilean was? Remember the, you hear that in the Bible, it says the long-legged Galilean. You know, in the tomb, we've been there to the tomb where they believe Jesus on Golgotha was buried, Steph and Mark and all this stuff. And there's one side that's like the size of a typical Jewish man. But the other side that Jesus was, it's longer. It's for a taller man. They had to dig it out more. Now, think about this. But it said, anyway, it said, a Galilean. Well, Galilean was the blue collar, the poor, even the poor area than blue collar. It's the uneducated area down by the Galilean Sea in the valley where they'd fish, and they didn't have high education there. They, they didn't have big businesses. There wasn't a shipping place like Ephesus where money flowed in and out and shipment. No, Amazon wasn't there, right? Amazon wasn't in Galilee. It was in Ephesus. So, it was a poor place, so they, they already looked down on Jesus because he was a Nazarene, a Galilean. How could he teach the law? How could he teach Scripture? How could he be this? And then they looked down on the other guys because Peter and those guys, they reeked Galilean, right? And so they're looking at him. And then it says what? Whenever it says he did it and the cock crowed, then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I mean, he's over here being lied on. He's getting sentenced to death. 
He's being abused, and he stops all of that and looks across the courtyard in the crowd and gets eye to eye with Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. Think about that. Now, here's what I know. I can't find anywhere in the Scripture where Jesus ever looked or spoke to someone with condemnation. Now, he got angry and straightened some people out. He didn't speak like, you're not worthy, you're not good enough. He corrected them, but he never spoke condemning and, and, and tearing people down. You know, Peter might have been like you and I, like, He's looking at me now. Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I messed up. At least I'm here in the courtyard. The other 10 dudes are hiding out somewhere. But I'm here. You could at least give me a little credit, Jesus. I'm kind of following you in a distance, Lord. Why did, why did I wreck a car? I'm kind of following you in a distance, Lord. Why did I get busted? I'm kind of following you in a distance, Lord. Why did that happen to my kids or my marriage? And then... But that wasn't what happened. When Peter saw him, conviction came because he saw nothing but love in Jesus' eyes. Even though Jesus, Jesus could have said, look, I'm over here dying for you, Peter. I've, I've supported you for three and a half years. I've saved your, your tail more times than I can think. If it wasn't for me, they would have kicked you out of the group in the beginning week, man. You're only here because of me. No, he didn't. He just looked at Peter with love and grace. That's why Peter ran out and wept bitterly. If Jesus had looked at him condemning or with anger, Peter would have fought back. But when he looked at him, after he told him what would happen, and he still loved Peter just as he was, not as Peter thought he should be, right? Even at a distance, even cursing his name and denying he knew him, Peter still felt Jesus' love. You can feel his love at a distance. You can feel his love when you're hiding if you'll just open up and realize that there's a chance you could change. The reason that song says some people change is because most people don't change. But I believe today is your day to change. And so as he looked at him and he saw the grace in his eyes and the love in his eyes, it was kind of like what the woman at the well, you know, when Jesus came up and he looked at her and said, hey, you're the woman, she's the woman what with five husbands and the one she was with wasn't her husband man Jesus loved her and she brought the entire city of Samaria and most of them came to Christ and were saved what about the woman caught in the act of adultery man Jesus said wrote in the sand you who have all those stones going to kill her has not sinned throw the first stone Jesus didn't judge her for being an adulteress getting caught in the act he judged those with a murdering spirit that needed to repent. And they dropped their stones and they fled. And she looked at him like, oh, no, what are you going to do to me? Am I going to be your slave or are you going to abuse me? Or he said, no, go and be free. Sin no more. Amen. See, Jesus is a God of love. Yeah. Our heavenly father, his heavenly father, is a God of love. And he came and he, his beard was plucked out. The cat of nine tails was used on his back, ripping his flesh off. They made him crawl in the sand, trying to get up the skull of Golgotha with the, the cross on his back, and Simeon had to jump out of the crowd. They forced him to help him get up there. The other 
The two thieves, they tied on the cross, but Jesus, they took the biggest spikes and they drove them in his feet and drove them in his hand. Can you imagine? You are the son of God. And as he is the son of God, I could see the angels and the horsemen of God and their, 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 their stallions are froth and their eyes are red and the angels are ready with their sword to take out 10,000 men with one swing. This is the Son of God. This is Jesus Christ. He is your Savior and you're abusing him and you're plucking his beard out and you drove stakes in his hand and now look at you. You stripped him naked. Bleeding disfigured and swollen, not just to the thousands watching, but to his very own mother had to look at her naked son suffering for what? Dying for what? He wasn't suffering for a what. He wasn't dying for a what. He was suffering for a who. He was dying for a who. He was dying for you and for me and all them that come after us and all that came before us. I mean, think about it. Satan, when he had him in the wilderness and Jesus was fasting, he said, throw yourself off this mountain. And Jesus said, no, I'll do that. He said, well, you, you don't have to worry about it. You throw yourself off, 10,000 angels will come and rescue you. He said, no, I'll let out every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I rebuke you, Satan. He just kept rebuking Satan. See, Satan even knew, because he was in heaven at one time and was kicked out. He knew Jesus could call and call the whole thing off in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was bleeding blood. His capsules broke. His capillaries broke. And he was bleeding blood. Whenever they grabbed him and they drug him as a prisoner, when they plucked his beard, when they beat his back, when they drove spikes in his feet and spikes in his hands and hung him naked in front of his mother, he could have said, that's it. The angels of God were waiting going back and forth. And here Satan is trembling with his little imps from hell. You know why he was trembling? Because he said, oh my goodness, I didn't get him and now we're finished. I, I know the end of the story because God already told Satan what was going to happen to him. At the end of this thing in your Bible, what's it say? And Satan and all of his angels were cast into the lake of fire forever. You see, that fire wasn't built for you and me. It was built for angels, supernatural beings. It wasn't built for us. But if we're on that team and we take our last breath, you're going to be present with them at the end of time, burning in a lake of fire forever that you weren't even equipped to burn in in the first place. Oh, what a cruel God. No, he's not a cruel God. He punched your ticket over 2,000 years ago. He paid the price for you to change. But it's still your decision. He's gentle and kind. He won't make you do anything. You have to trust him. And then finally, right before they poked the seer, took the seared and they stabbed it in his side, which was prophesied by the prophet over 4,000 years earlier. Right before they did that, when blood and water represented spirit and the blood of Jesus and the spirit and, and humanity of man, I mean, right when that, before that happened, Jesus was taking his last breath. He said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. Forgive them. Jesus looked at the woman well, not with judgment and condemnation, but with love and grace. Jesus looked at the woman called in adultery, not with condemnation, but with love and grace. Jesus looked at the demoniac of Gadara with legions of demons living in him. He didn't look at him as judgment or stay away from that guy. I don't want him around me. He looked at him with love 
and with grace. Wow. He took that last breath. Now, I'll tell you how tricky Satan can be. I gave my life to the Lord when I was 21. I preached my first message when I was 23. I'd been a minister for decades. We'd actually planted this church about 12 or 14 years prior. So I'd already been preaching the gospel over 20 years. My mom had died, and there was some betrayal of friends in our life, and the church was in a financial mess with the economy crashing back in 06, 07 range. And, and, and I didn't realize it, but over about, I, was, I went into depression for about three years. And man, I, I, didn't realize, I didn't know what depression was. I was never that kind of person. And now I realize what a sickness it is. It don't matter who you are. How spiritual, I prayed, I fasted, I tithed, I did it all. I preached, but I'm still depressed. And depression will kill you if you don't deal with it. It will kill you if you don't deal with it. And uh, finally, you know, I just for the last year and a half, I just drove from the house to the church, work all day, lead the staff, come back home. I didn't do anything but sports activities with my boys. I didn't golf. I quit golfing. I belonged to a nice country club. I quit golfing. I quit everything. I didn't hang out with people. And Steph said, honey, this is not you. There's something wrong. I know the staff haven't figured it out and the people haven't figured it out, but there's something not right here. I'm amazed she loved me and stayed through. I didn't abuse her physically or anything or cheat on her, or any, but I was just not there. I wasn't there. I was broken. I felt like, God, I mean, if you love me this much, why is the church struggling? If you love me this much, why did my mom die with cancer? See, things you deal with. I lay hands on people and they get healed of cancer. I'm sitting there, Cheryl's dad walked through a prayer line and was blind and got instantly healed, didn't he, Cheryl, and saw those, those glossy, covered eyes turned into this beautiful blue-eyed man dancing before the Lord. I've seen it. But my mother died of cancer. I was mad, but I act like I wasn't. I was spiritual. You know, I prayed, I fasted, I preached her funeral, going home. So I did all that. But inside, I was dead. I wasn't backslidden, lost. If I died, I'd went to heaven. But man, I'd just say, I was a walking dead man. Oh, I was following Jesus at a distance. I was preaching the gospel and following Jesus at a distance. You know, when you follow him at a distance, you don't get the full value, benefit of his, what he paid for. And Steph taught me in a going away. We found a man. He now became my mentor, and I spent a week with him in Colorado, and it just saved me. I tell him all the time, Jesus saved me the first time. You saved me the second time. And you know what I found out? I was living a performance track because my dad died when I was three months old, so I always, you know, I played for my baseball coach. I played for my basketball coach. I played for my high school coach. And then once I couldn't do sports anymore, I started hanging out with older people and partying with them and trying to get affirmation wherever I could get it. And then when I got saved and delivered, I fall into the same trap, trying to get the affirmation of God, trying to get the approval of people, trying to, quote, grow the kingdom. The whole time I didn't realize I'm doing a good work but killing myself because I'm doing it for the wrong reason. Till it was revealed to me. You know what it was? I was trying to get God to love me more. I wanted him to love me more and more and more. And then my friend shared this scripture with me, and I'd read it and preached it before, but it has it, never really resonated like it did when he shared it with me. 
and it was in First uh, John chapter four. It said that and God first loved us. See, we love because He first loved us. We love. See, I didn't totally grasp the fullness of His love, and I'm still learning because I hadn't grasped that He first loved me. I knew He died on the cross and loved me that way, right? But now I'm in the army. I got my marching orders. I got to live up to certain things. I got to talk a certain way and be a certain way. And I, I got to prove myself and I got to be faithful and I got to be perfect and I got to do my best and I got to do better than I did last time or it's not good enough. Maybe you don't live like that, but that's the way I was living. And doing that for over 20 years, I broke. So I got that simple revelation and I realized I don't have anything to prove. I'm his kid. My boys don't have anything to prove to me. My, my daughter in love don't have anything to prove to me. They're my kids. Why? Because I first loved them and Steph first loved them. That gives them the ability to love us back. There's never a time we get off the phone or we, you, you, any of you staff, anybody tell you staff is family here anyway, anybody around, you always see us, what do we do? Love you, love you, hug, see you. We see each other, we hug, love, and we, we're just a loving family. We're not perfect. We can be stupid. We can be angry. We can do, but I'll tell you what, we always end up in love. And the reason that is, is because getting that revelation, I can't love until I receive love. And today, the thing that's going to make the change in you is not new habits or, you know, a new formula, a new trick. The only thing that's going to change you today is receiving his love. The greatest love that you could ever receive. When a man laid his life down for you, what greater love than this can one have? Wow. So you watch it online, you get here today. If you think you can't make it, you're right, you can't. If you think you can't do it, you're right, you won't be able to do it. You think you can't live it? No, you can't live it. But for grace. But for grace. Even if you're falling at a distance, there's grace. Even if you're totally hiding out from God, there's grace. Even if you're angry like I was at God and wouldn't confess it until it broke out of my spirit, angry at God, disappointed that he didn't protect me and didn't take care of who I loved and what I wanted and used me to help others. Then when I got that revelation that he, he loved me first, now I can love. So I just, for years, I'd come up in this pulpit and whisper to myself, I don't have anything to prove. My words were to Dalton, nothing to prove. That's why today I preach, I don't have anything to prove to any of you people. I love you. I'm here on assignment. I'll do what I, I wouldn't die for you, but I'll serve you. I'll teach you. I'll cheer you on, but I wouldn't die for you. Now, my kids or my wife, yeah, die for them. A good friend, no. A great friend, no. Those three right there, those four right there, I'd die for them. But I wouldn't die for nobody else. But Jesus died for me. He died for you. And he didn't just die so you could get a ticket to heaven. He died so you could live now and have great joy in your life. 
Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to pray for you. <clears throat> Wherever you're at, that song said some people change. I believe today is your day to change. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is promised to no man. We don't have hope of the next 10 seconds. Your heart stops, aneurysm, car accident. <laughs> There's lots of things that could happen. We hear of tragedies in churches. You don't know. All you know is right now. Right now. I want to ask you, all of you online and all of you in this room right now, take a step. Give God a chance. Give him a try. Let him love you the way it was meant. He loves you, but you don't know it because you haven't given your life to him. When you give your life to him, the Bible says that You've been bodied in a state of death, and now your spirit is alive in him in John chapter 3. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. My hope, my trust, and what I've prayed and been standing and believing for for months now, especially this last week, is for you. I won't die for you, but, boy, I've been digging for you. I've been praying for you. I've been sowing for you. I've been believing for you. I've been preparing for you. But the greatest gift I can give you is the gift giver, Jesus Christ, his gift of grace. So here I'm going to count to three in just a moment. When I do, I'm going to ask you just to stand up. I want to pray for you. Stand up. I want to pray for you. I'm not even going to play around, raise your hand, or do nothing. You at home, stand up. I want to pray for you. Make a step. Make a move. You want to change. If you take that first step, his grace is sufficient. His faith that's a mustard seed is already in you waiting. Say, yeah, but you don't know, man. Everybody thinks I'm saved. Well, what good's that? They'll be in heaven and you won't? What good's that? You're the next tragedy. You're the next blow up, mess up, blow your family up. You're not tricking anybody. You're just playing a game, man. This is your day. So I'm going to count to three, and all of you that want to come to Christ, just stand up. Be bold. I remember when I finally came to the place. There was a lot of events that weekend to give my life to Christ. I just turned 21, and like I said, I had to move back with my mom, and she'd pray and ask me every Sunday morning, want to go to church, want to go. Finally, that night before, I'd been in an all-night party at a, you know, a housing development, low-income housing development, and big party, and a backslidden Church of Christ preacher, blown, stoned out of his mind. I'm stoned out of my mind. He's preaching the gospel. I don't know how long. It seemed like hours to me. Here, he wasn't even saved anymore. Later on, he did come back to God. He'd lost his family and everything. And, uh, I was so convicted, it's like it sobered me up, man. I mean, I'm just like, forget the bourbon. I'm sober or pot. Whatever I was doing, I was doing a body. I not know what I was doing. I was sober by the time I left that apartment. And when I got home, I made my mind up, I'm going to church tonight and get saved. My mom came in a Sunday morning knocking on, honey, go to church. And mom, I said, mom, I'm so sick. I got in about an hour ago. But I promise you, I will go to tonight service. And I did, 6 o'clock. And I was Kentucky. On Main Street there at little Inez Nazarene Church. I sat there and couldn't wait for Brother Art Hobbs to stop preaching because I needed to get saved. But when it came time, I was clutching the end of that little wooden pew so hard. I said, Mom, I want to get saved, but I can't let go. I, I don't think I can. She said, Son, 
If you'll just let go, I promise you, if you'll get one foot in that aisle, and I remember that aisle, lime green flat carpet runner sitting on an old wooden floor. If you can just get one foot out of this pew, son, if you can get one foot on that old piece of floor right there, you'll make it, I promise you. I'll go with you. She is right. It was like, man, when I let go and I took one step in that little church aisle, I ran to that altar. Right there, I received his love. <laughs> See, we talk about salvation, man. It's, it's not about getting saved from something. It's being loved to really feel what true love is like never before. Salvation's a bonus. 